Hello Pod fans, Evans here. Welcome to a special episode in conversation with John Frank. John Frank is one of two people who brought you the 1996 epic Litmus, one of the iconic surf movies of all time. We're chatting with Frankie about shooting in Ireland and that at the time for the outside world, it was something of a discovery, just how big and heavy and incredible the surf can be in the Emerald Isle. Also in that film, of course, Derek Hines' section. Kind of the spark that changed the way people thought about their quivers from riding tiny little shitboards that didn't really go into sort of diversifying in terms of their tastes and their designs of their surfboards. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Surfing World, which is the heritage print title down under in Australia. It's been going for 50 years now. And John Frank, along with Sean Doherty, bought that magazine out. We're going to chat a little bit about that. A um, little bit crackly down the line from Frank. He's over there isolating on the island of Mallorca with his family. So a little crackly down the line. However, I think the content and the stuff he's saying is well worth the listen. So hope you enjoy that. Um, in the meantime, of course, don't forget to check out subscriptions offers to Wavelength. That's up on our site, wavelengthmag.com. Have a look at the subs offers going on there. Got some really good offers to help you get through lockdown. Of course, all our subscriptions offers are found in the shop up on the site. That's shop.wavelengthmag.com. Do check out some of the wicked brands we've got on there, like Altanone, like Rourke and Deus. And we've got our own branded Wavelength gear as well. Some great deals on there and some really good gear and free shipping available as well. Do check out the deals in the shop. All right, let's get on with the show and hear from John Frank. Well, Litmus started for me. Um, I've been shooting still photos for a couple of the Australian surfing magazine. Uh, Waves and Tracks magazine mostly back in the early 90s. I'd probably been doing it for four or five years and I was spending a couple of months each each season in Hawaii shooting over there. And I remember it must have been 93 or 94, I'd called the editor at Waves from um, the public phone box at the uh, Pearl Ridge Cinemas. You know, this was pre-everything, so I was on, on the phone box putting in my quarters i may have even rung rung in reverse charges but um <laughs> it was ank and i just told him i'm quitting i'm just a bit sick of surf photography i, I want to get out I, I think i've seen everything i need to see it's um i want to do something else kind of thing and he's like oh right well do you want to make a movie just straight off the bat i was like oh, what a surf movie he's like yeah I, I, I want to make a surf movie do you want to come and shoot it for me so right then I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So I flew home a couple of weeks later, went and saw Kidman in his office, and he said, I'm quitting, I'm doing one more issue. Uh, let's go and do a movie. And and that was Litmus. So from the beginning, Andrew had a couple of ideas. He wanted to do something with Wayne down in Victoria and the TP and all that, so... That was one, and the other idea that he had was Derek Hind at J-Bay. He wanted to go and film Derek at J-Bay because he'd been there a couple of years before and seen Derek surfing uh, on probably the first fish one that Derek had. The idea of featuring all these like middle-aged men, you know, it doesn't that seems quite risky in terms of kind of surfing and what's commercial or sort of, you know, what, what flies in surfing. 
We, we didn't overthink it at all. I, I, I don't think we thought about marketing the thing. I don't think we thought about who would want to watch it. We didn't have much money, um, so we were shooting it on pretty shitty old high video cameras, yeah. which were troublesome in lots of ways, but that was all we could afford. Um, I think we just literally, well, I don't know whether we were just naive or stubborn or, or just stupid, but we just made the movie that we wanted to, to make. I mean, there was no strategic thought that went into it at all. Sure. It was, you know, Wayne Lynch is an interesting human being and no one ever talks to him. So let's go and talk to him. That was Andrew's thing. And I, that sounded good to me. So we did that. And then he'd seen Derek, like I said. So Derek was an easy one. And then the whole island thing came up because I think we were, we'd bought round-the-world tickets. So it took us a year to film Litmus. We took a year off. And that's the beauty of being 24 years old and have, not having kids and just being free is that you can literally take a year and just you can take your time and at, at that point in your life you maybe appreciate it in some way but it's not until you're older that you look back and you really can see what a what a privilege that having that freedom is to have the time to to sort of explore a place and so I think I can't remember who came up with Ireland but it was agreed that Ireland was a place that we thought was interesting for no reason other than we liked the sound of it and then I think somehow Joel, because he, it's his last name's Fitzgerald, we thought that was a pretty good fit. It didn't get any more intellectual than that. <laughs> it was like, Fitzgerald, that's an Irish name. He should come to Ireland with us. And he was mates. He was mates with Andrew, him and Kai. And I'd done trips with him and uh, his brother and, and TF. Uh, I'd done a trip previously with them to, to the Mentorize a couple of years prior, so we all knew each other. And it was literally like Ireland sounds like a fascinating place. Neither of us have ever been there. We've never really seen anything about it. We think there's a bit of a surf scene there, but we don't know. You know, I mean, the guys have been surfing there for 20 or 30 years before we got there, but it was still pretty underground. So we just went and we spent at least three months over there filming that uh, section for Litmus. We bought an old van in London for like 500 quid or something and we drove it up through Scotland and then we went across and I think we took it on the ferry from Scotland over to to Ireland and we drove over to the West Coast and we connected with uh, Richie Fitzgerald yeah. and his amazing clan over there in Donegal and I, we... I don't know, it was just this, it just fit with with where we were at in, in our lives and we didn't want to go anywhere else. We were quite happy. So, yeah, we stayed there until I think I left in the middle of November or towards the end of November and that's when I went over and filmed Tom Curran in California. So I flew from there to California and then from there to Hawaii. So In Britain, at least at the time, I mean, people sort of knew that there were these like great ways in Ireland, like I got this cold water in there was like the kind of the top line that you'd heard but I guess we all kind of just what we'd seen of it people sort of imagine it as being a bit like Cornwall but just like a lot better but a similar kind of waves 
particularly like the bit was kind of really sort of like a like a mind blowing thing of like fuck it looks like you know fucking hell it looks like pipeline. Yeah, we knew nothing about the surf. Uh, I carried one board on that trip. I think Ank had probably only one himself. I think we just decided we were going to take one surfboard each, and we were surfing quite a lot. Andrew more than me. He, I mean, he he didn't shoot anything in Java. I shot the whole the whole thing, which was annoying. So I got, had to watch him surf all day at Java, which was. Frustrating. is not my kind of wave, but still, to be standing... I, I wasn't used to just shooting from the beach at that point. It was a new kind of thing for me off a tripod. Normally, I'm in the water, but... Um, yeah, well, we... Look, we'd been out to the point there, and, and we'd, we'd done a bit of exploring over the, the sort of weeks and months we were there. And I think that's that session that, that was in the film with Joel um, out there by himself, that... I think that was probably towards the end of the trip, so... We... I remember I'd had a couple of really good surfs out there. Um, for some reason, Joel wasn't there, or that might have been after he left. But we knew the wave was there. We had our eyes on it. And I, I come from Cronulla, and there's a lot of heavy kind of ledging reef breaks there. That was sort of the kind of waves I grew up surfing and being interested in with a, with a hardcore crew of bodyboarders, and that was sort of more slabby sort of reef breaks. So for me, it felt like, they were the waves that we were looking for, and Joel's such an incredible tube rider that we, obviously for him, he just wants those kind of waves. So it was just on our radar. With, we were keeping an eye on it, and it took a long time to get it that like that day. And that day was pretty wild, and it was quite big, and there was no one around. There were no houses on the point or anything at that point. It was just um, you just walked across paddocks, and and there it was. And we didn't discover that wave. They, the local guys had been surfing that wave for years, but still, it wasn't a popular kind of spot. So it just it fit what what our histories of surf, what we, where we came from in surfing, and, and uh, yeah, it was just fun. Like the whole thing was fun. There was no stress. We were working with Kidman's good like that. He doesn't have a, big agendas, and that's how I like to work too. We just Travelling like that when you've got the time to invest in it and you're not on a schedule and you don't have one week to get the job done, we literally were just staying as long as we needed. It provides you with a different kind of experience. It's not like fast food, fly in, fly out, sort of swell missions where you're targeting a swell and you're flying in and that's what people do now because it's so productive but it's a different, it's a different experience altogether. It's more in, in tune with the the whole of the environment, not just the actual wave itself, but it's the land, it's the landscape, and it's the frontal weather, and that's what Ireland was like at that. Point. And the surfers that were surfing in Ireland, they were tough. It's a it's a fucking hard place to grow up and, and to surf, and you've got to be. I mean, they're hard fucking people, men and women surfing in those in those waters and wetsuits at the time. Were they were shit compared to what they are today but they were still a lot better I guess than what these guys have been learning to surf in and it's just it's a it's a wild place it's windy and you've got to wait for the right day and there's not it's not easy it's not an easy experience so I think it sorts out you've got to really have that connection 
to be a surfer growing up in Ireland and actually get to the level where you can surf some of those waves because they're challenging waves. But it feels like, in a way, that was the film or had a, a sort of a part of playing, sort of changing, like, the way everyone thought about surfboards. I mean, having a fish now is just fucking... Every, I mean, it's probably, like, the most, you know, one of the most kind of common boards around. At the time, it was an obscure sort of design cul-de-sac from like the 70s in San Diego or something, was it? That, like it just kind of, he kind of plucked yeah. it out of nowhere, basically. Andrew's the surfboard aficionado and Derek, but they both love the history of surfboards. Personally, I'm not <laughs> that into the whole surfboard thing, although I always loved just riding. I, I grew up riding single fins, so for me, it was, it was that period where Slado and those guys were, were riding such small boards for me, I, I wasn't a good enough surfer to be able to surf that equipment, and I quickly realised that. So I'd just go for bigger single fins. So I didn't know about fishes until Derek had one, or he had a couple, and we went to J-Bay, and he had this incredible, incredibly eclectic quiver there. So that quickly became what the what his piece would be about. It was as much about his surfing at J-Bay, which I just, I delighted in the way Derek surfs that way. I, I remember filming on the beach there and and he'd be surfing i'd be following him with the camera and literally struggling to keep the shot steady or keep him in frame because i was laughing so hard about what he was doing on the way over how he was riding these boards it was affecting the world shot he was having that much of an effect on me just in his approach to surfing that was so unique and the lines he was drawing and the way he would ride this equipment and it was like some sort of bizarre theatre. It, it certainly didn't seem like sport. It was incredibly high performance, but it was zero performance. It was, it was like still, the way that guy surfs, even to this day with his free friction little, um, his free friction approach now with no fins or whatever he's doing. It, it, I don't know. It, I've never seen anything. It was just so far left field from anything I'd seen that I was viscerally affected. I was pissing myself laughing watching this guy surf and just blown away. And I was genuinely, I had that feeling when I was filming it that this was really special. You don't often get that when you're filming surfing. It's incredibly tedious, monotonous, especially when you're videoing and especially when you're videoing from the beach. It is batshit boring. It's like watching fucking paint dry. And literally, the, the peak experience is don't miss the, the best wave of the day. And that's literally the big stress that you have, which is, it's a pathetic sort of paradigm to be living by. Oh, don't miss the best wave of the day or else you failed at your job. Like, but with Derek surfing, it was a joy to be standing on the beach and for hours and hours every day, I, I thoroughly, I fucking loved it. And that was just because of the joy that he had in the water and you could just see the enthusiasm and the approach that he took to surfing that, that then translated through those boards and people saw how incredible those boards are too. And they snapped out of that ridiculous era of riding boards that are completely wrong for their, their own level of surfing and completely wrong for the conditions. And whether the, the original San Diego fish, which was actually designed for a really good surf, uh, the modern fish, is a, it's not 
the same sort of thing, but it led to that kind of thing of, hey, you guys, you're not Shane Herring, you know what I mean? Like, you can't surf these fucking boards. Yeah. These boards are, it's like a Ferrari, like your average driver jumping in a Ferrari, you're just not going to do it. It's just fucking, it's a no-brainer, really, when you look back on it. Yeah. But there you have it. And, and I, I think that came from people seeing Derek having so much fun. He, he's made his mark. He's got that kind of magic combination of being like of a certain age. So he's got experience, he kind of knows shit, but he was still thin. So like, you know, he looks like a young guy, kind of like, you're not watching some middle-aged dude huffing around. He's still like that now, mate. <laughs> he, I swear he only eats one meal a day. He's like a cat. That is, you've nailed it. That's the thing with his surfing, that someone like me, who's a bigger guy, could never, I could never ride those boards that he's riding now, particularly the fins three because you've got to be light. The fact that he's a light, thin dude, it, I reckon that is a really important aspect to the, the approach that he has on a surfboard and his ability to do that stuff. Because you can't, it's a real physical thing, like I can't, not many people can do that. If you want to change the surf world, stay thin when you're middle-aged, so you still know loads of shit, you've got loads of like cultural references. Let's not, let's not fat shame, some of my favourite surfers of all time are big guys, so it just depends on how you want to surf. There's a shot in Litmus at the end of of Sean Briley of Pipeline. yeah. On probably the best surf wave I ever saw at Pipeline, <clears throat> and he's a big guy, and mate, that is fucking surfing as well. And there's also uh, not that Oki's very fit, and at the time when he did the skins, which is that bell sequence of Oki and Litmus as well, yeah. which is some of the best backhand surfing that I've ever seen on on video. I didn't shoot that. PK from Victoria shot that, but. That surfing, and he's a big, solid guy. That, so, yeah, look, it's different strokes, but Derek can't surf like Hockey, and Sean Briley can't surf like Derek, and that's the beautiful thing about the diversity of, of these characters, you know, and Joel Fitz surfs like Joel Fitzgerald. That's just all there is to it, and he, he, his lineage comes from his father, who was one of the greatest surfers of all time. You're born with your style, and you're born with your body, and, and you make most of it, and sometimes you just get this little freaky magical combination of, of, of physics and, and physicality and, and strength and, and grace, and it's like dancing. You can't teach someone how to fucking dance. I mean, you can teach them the steps, but they've either got it or they haven't, and it's the same with surfing. You, obviously, you and Sean are uh, um, surfing well these days. I've been shooting for that magazine uh, for about... 15 years or something and when Bruce Shannon and Hugh McLeod used to have it they sold it and then I started working for the people that bought it and I've kind of did ever since because Surfing World was a magazine that actually got me interested in, in shooting in photography in general really and, and surfing probably as well but I was given a whole stack of magazines from this old mate of mine when I was at school I was probably 13 or something and is he had this stack from the all from the seventies and eighties, like this collection of surfing world magazines, and he did, he wasn't interested. So he said, "Do you want these mags?" So it, I poured over every single one of those magazines, and that was my education in surfing and my education in photography. And so I've got a really deep connection to that title. And Sean's been writing for them for quite a while as well. 
we have had a lot of support from people that just love the title. I mean, it's got such a long history. It's it's now the old, longest running surf magazine in the world. Now that surf is not printing anymore. Yeah. Um, it's culturally very important to Australia, the magazine, I think, because it does cover all the different eras. It's definitely had ups and downs over its 50 years. And um, it's had periods where it's where the magazine's sort of been struggling to maintain relevance. But I, I feel like we have this new energy now. People are... Print is not dead. It's just... It's just Alright, that's going to wrap things up for the chat with Frankie. We'll be coming back with a brand new episode of It's Not The Length. That's myself, Paul Evans, alongside man like Ben Mundy. That's coming at you real soon. A lot of hot topics to bring you from the surf world, from news from around the world and closer to home. In the meantime, do check out our subscriptions offers, wavelengthmag.com. And check out the store if you're looking for sustainable surfwear and some wicked deals on some brilliant gear. Take care of each other. Protect the NHS. Protect your wave counts if that's possible. Hope you're getting surf if you're located near the coast. If not, hold your corner, hold tight. And we'll talk to you soon. Hold up. 